0: bulletproof radio a state of high performance
1: today's episode is fantastic you are going to want to listen through all the way to the end because you're going to learn how a guy who created a company worth a billion dollars like went inside his head you'll learn about his struggles and he has real actionable advice for you in today's show so when you, li- when you listen all the way through, you're going to hear about the story of the creation of the value, but what does a growth mindset mean to you and how do you turn it on? You'll learn about how to learn from other people. You're going to learn about what self-esteem does, how identifying the right answer really matters, and you're going to learn how being right all the time is toxic to you being a successful human being, not just in business, but just in life. You'll learn about how you should avoid doing things that help you move away from your goals, and there's a specific meaning to that you'll pick up. And finally, you're going to learn some really cool mindset hacks from a guy who spent a lot of time uh, working on his own mindset to become as successful as he is. Along the way, I'm going to tell you a few things about my own background that you probably don't know. So this is an episode you totally want to tune in for the entire time. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices, You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is something that you're probably going to like. And it's that some new research says that sex is actually good for you, at least if you're over 50, and probably if you're under 50. Researchers found that 50 to 83-year-olds who had more regular sex scored higher on tests measuring verbal fluency. They were better able to visually perceive objects and the spaces between them and that's making scientists look at how neurotransmitters like dopamine and oxytocin can influence the relationship between how often you have sex and how well your brain works. Uh, in the meantime, I will continue to experiment diligently. Before we get into today's episode, if you haven't had a chance to check out the Bulletproof Coffee variety pack, uh, you've got to do this online. And here's why. Pick up some of these. If you're watching on YouTube, you go to bulletproof.com YouTube to find the channel. There are three different flavors of Bulletproof Coffee, now, not counting decaf. And my current favorite is Mentalist. And this is a medium dark roast. We've got the original, which is a medium roast. And we've got French Kick, which is a dark roast that doesn't suck. Most dark roasts are just terrible. And for all of these roasts, we've worked with the guy who trains the cup of excellence judges on dialing in the roast parameters to get them perfect. However, lots of people have good roasting. What's important is what goes into the roaster. And there we've got special processing of green coffee beans in a way that's called the Bulletproof process that eliminates the formation of toxins. We independently lab test our coffees for 27 different toxins that our process is designed to minimize. These are all single origin grown at high altitudes, Rainforest Alliance certified. And of course they're guaranteed fresh. If you like the stuff, I'd love it if you just send a tweet out to EP Nutrition or any of the other social media channels and say, Hey, this stuff is good. But if you haven't tried the three roasts, order the variety pack, save a little bit of money. And what you're going to find is that some of these are amazing. Some are good for espresso. And some of these are just going to be the one that you dial in for your flavor profile. None of these are blends. We don't just buy coffees at a, at a you know big auction the way most companies do. These are carefully processed from soil to cup, and you'll feel the difference in every single day that you drink them. All right. If you like the show, there's something you can do as well. If you head to bulletproof.com slash iTunes, that'll take you straight to the iTunes page, and you can just go right there and leave a five-star review that says, hey, this show is awesome, and here's what I like about it. When you do that, I see it, and everyone else knows that the show is worth watching. We're almost up to 2,000 reviews, and I'm so grateful if you take five seconds to go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes. Just tell the world that more than 400 episodes of this, that's, I don't know how many thousands of hours went into that, but it's here to share the best knowledge from people who are fascinating. And speaking of fascinating, interesting, disruptive people, today's guest is a guy I met a couple of years ago, and someone I've, I've admired quite a lot, and... Uh, Someone you've probably heard of. His name is Tom Bilyeu. He's the co-founder of a company called Quest Nutrition, which is one of those things called a unicorn startup, which is a startup that gets to be worth more than a billion dollars. And this man grew his company by 57,000% in his first three years, which is easy if your first year is $1 revenue, Tom. I I, I got your statistics there. (laughs) (laughs) Still, it's pretty impressive. Number two on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the U.S. in 2014. And a couple years ago, Tom started Impact Theory along with his wife. And there, he teaches people how to develop the mindset of success. And his whole point there is you can hack through the matrix. You can break out of this mindset where you're sort of stuck. When I met Tom, it was at the XPRIZE Innovation Board. And if if you are familiar with the XPRIZE, this is what launched the private travel of space. Like Private space exploration happened because of Peter Diamandis' work with the XPRIZE. And there's a board of directors there, and I'm not on the board of directors, but I was lucky enough to be invited to sit in on a board meeting, and Tom and I got a chance to chat and meet each other, which was particularly cool. So it it was nice that Peter put us together, and now is a chance for you to learn from Tom about the principles, the 25 principles behind impact theory and behind just the amazing success he's had in his life. So Tom, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, man. It's good to be here.
1: All right, hopefully that intro was good for you. I mean, I, I, I feel like I might have. Dude, that was. I think I might have, like, maybe glossed over some of the things. But basically, you're, uh, you're from a business perspective, just as a human being, like, like, you're pretty much a badass. So I'm happy to have you on the show.
2: Wow. Thank you, man. No, the intro is very generous. So I appreciate it.
1: I want to talk about your life. <laughs> and there's a lot of times when we're, I'm interviewing maverick scientists and we're going really deep on, on stuff like that. I want to know what happened between your ears with this kind of success. Where did you start out before you, quote, broke through your own matrix and started this billion dollar company and, and did some of the other things you've done? Just give, give me your, your origin myth.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's not cool at all. I was I raised to be a good employee, to keep my head down, do as little work as possible and avoid punishment at all costs. Um, I did that, was very diligent at that, and I had ambition, but I didn't really have the drive needed to figure out the skill sets that I was lacking to get there. I very much had a fixed mindset. I thought that my talent and intelligence were fixed traits. There was really nothing I could do, and life was really about optimizing for what I had, not asking the question, how hard are you willing to work to acquire a new set of skills? And film school really changed things for me because I thought, the way that they break it up at USC is your first two years are theory and general education. And um, I hadn't yet been accepted to film school. And I went to one of the people on the acceptance committee. I said, what do I need to do to get in? They said, get good grades. So for two years, I locked myself in my dorm room. I didn't party. I didn't drink. I didn't go on dates, nothing. I literally just worked. And I got the grades that I needed, got into film school. And then the next two years, for the first year and a half, it did very well. Um, I began to get some recognition within the school uh, for having talent, whatever that means, and got selected in the last half of my senior year to direct a senior thesis, which only four people get to do. So it's a very big deal. And I crashed and burned and I made the worst movie ever and really got slapped in the face with the fact that I have absolutely no talent as a filmmaker. And that was so emotionally destructive that I really began to search for a new ideological system that would just give me reprieve from feeling so badly about myself. And and very fortunately, I found myself teaching film and in teaching it, Not only was I needing to learn just to put together a coherent class, but also in teaching something, you end up learning about it yourself. So as I'm teaching these students and I'm realizing, okay, they're actually better at the end of the class than they were at the beginning because of the feedback and the things that they learned. So clearly it's possible for them to improve. Is it possible for me to improve? And if so, how much? And that really began my journey of becoming a better filmmaker rather than just trying to prove that I already was a good filmmaker. And look, it's very easy to mythologize. The truth is it was just a very brutal sort of stumbling process of reading a lot and beginning to encounter what now is called a growth mindset. But when I started all of this, Carol Dweck hadn't written her book yet, so none of that verbiage was around or certainly I had never encountered it. And while I was teaching, I met these two guys, very successful entrepreneurs, Um, They were about to start a technology company and they said, look, you're coming to the world with your handout. And if you really want to make films and you want to do it your way and you want to control the art, you're going to have to get rich. And they said, why don't you come to work for us, be a copywriter, but don't think of yourself like a copywriter. This is a startup. You can have any job you want. You just have to become the right person for the job. And so that really put me into a mindset accelerator where I was around other people that believed to the core of their being, that you can change any aspect of yourself that you want. You can get better. You can identify the skills that you lack. And if you're willing to put in the work to acquire those skills, then you can do anything. And so that began a 15-year entrepreneurial journey that saw me start as a copywriter, ultimately work my way to chief marketing officer, uh, be given uh, 10% ownership in that technology company just through sheer equity, sweat equity, and then, long story short, I went through a total emotional crisis, was just chasing money, became so profoundly unhappy that I said, I can't keep doing this, and if I'm gonna stay in business, it's gonna have to be something that's predicated on delivering value, Uh, where we're being authentic, where we're really engaging with our community, creating something that's supportive. And this is back in 2009. So people just weren't talking like that back then. Nobody really understood how to use social media. And when we said, because they both agreed, my two partners agreed, and they said, okay, if we're going to do this, um, what is something that the three of us would love doing every day, even if we were failing and for three very different reasons that led us to nutrition, which I wanted to save my mom and my sister. So I grew up in a morbidly obese family and by now I believe in myself as an entrepreneur. I believe that I can get any skill that I need to. And I'm really looking at the problem, the global pandemic of ill health and metabolic disease and just really Working backwards from that and saying telling people to eat less and exercise more is not a winning uh, formula. You've talked very profoundly about you know it wasn't a moral failing of yours. You were working your ass off. You were eating less than some of your friends, but you were still just getting a different result. And so what we wanted to do was make food that people could choose based on taste, and it happened to be good for them. But we would do the difficult part of learning about manufacturing and in some ways reengineering the very manufacturing process to be able to make. A fundamentally new product. And so that is all of that is sort of this connective tissue of what my journey has looked like. The important parts being I learned a growth mindset and that changed everything. And then realizing that if you want to be successful in business, you need to recognize the only thing you can sell over time is value. And if you're not actually adding value to people's lives, the best you can hope to be is the flash in the pan.
1: I've talked with a, a lot of young entrepreneurs and I, you know, I. I have a pretty similar path uh, to you there, you know, early success and things like that. But a lot of them are, not, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to learn online poker. I'm going to be doing day trading. <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to do something like this, which adds zero value to anything. By the way, I was a pretty experienced day trader. I could do butterfly spreads on options and all this stuff. But uh, bottom line is, is, it doesn't do anything for anyone other than put some money in your account. And there's value in having money uh, because you can do something meaningful with it. But if, In fact, you have a quote from one of your your interviews where you you say, that's what people don't understand about money or even success. You can have all of it and still hate your life. And uh, I went through a a point when I was 26. I made $6 million at the company that held Google's first server when it was just Larry and Sergey and a couple servers and and the very formation when the Facebook became a customer because they hadn't renamed themselves to Facebook yet and all this. I was—I literally was like, you know, I'll be happy when I have ten million dollars. I literally said that. Like, I'm 26 years old with six million dollars in stock and all this stuff. And like, what kind of a jerk, right? But I—that whole hating your life thing was a problem. I lost that money when I was 28, uh, which was kind of unfortunate. But I, I went through that same thing. I just love that you say that. You can still hate your life. But you know, you're successful, top of whatever your industry is, and enough money to not worry about it. And I know a lot of people who are there. And I also know some people who are billionaires or people who are just, just loads of money, who are profoundly happy because they decided to make a difference. In fact, where we met at the XPRIZE Innovation Board, uh, this is uh, a group of extremely financially successful people who are putting meaningful amounts of their own money, and meaningful to these guys has lots of zeros, uh, to work, uh, changing the world because it makes them happy, because they think they can do something good. And those are the happy billionaires. (laughs) And then there's the miserable billionaires who are like, how do I hold on to what I have? You know, the the Mr. Smiths from The Simpsons. Uh, And how did you avoid becoming Mr. Is it Mr. Smith? Smithers, sorry. How did you avoid becoming Mr. Smithers uh, as you became wealthy here?
2: So I joke with people and say that Quest was a company born out of misery, but that's actually true. So I think of Awareness Technologies, which was the tech company that I sort of grew up in. Hadn't become such a profoundly miserable experience for me, I I wouldn't have escaped it, and it was because I was going through that, and I had this dawning horrific realization, which is that the struggle is guaranteed, but the money is not. And <laughs> well said. so when you know, like you're going to go through hard times, man. And I cannot promise you that on the other side of that is the success that you're imagining for yourself. And I began to realize the game that I'm playing actually isn't money. The game that I'm playing isn't success. The game that I'm playing is neurochemistry. And I could give you $7.4 billion, but if you hate yourself and want to commit suicide, what good is that money? And conversely, if you have no money, but you feel a deep, sense of fulfillment and accomplishment in your life, and you love what you're doing, like, it doesn't matter that you don't have money, because you feel so great. And that's what makes like this industry in particular, so interesting to me. And it's why I'm just destined to be involved in two industries, industries that address the body and industries that address the mind, because those are the two ways that you really are able to experience in a positive way life, right? So that, that to me is big, and, but understand that I was having these realizations like with dawning horror because everything that I was doing in my life was like the exact opposite. So I'm chasing money for the sake of money with no sense of what I want to do with it. So it's like the dog chasing the car. It's like, you don't know why you're chasing the car, right? So I had some vague sense from when I was a kid that money was cool and it let you get cool things and that I was gonna somehow love those cool things. And what I didn't realize and what I now know is just baked into the core of my existence. What I didn't realize was that I would not feel any differently about myself with money than I did without money. So when you look at somebody that has money and you don't, you look at them with envy. You have a level of adoration for them. It's impressive. And as a culture, we celebrate that. And when I finally like hit refresh, refresh, refresh on my bank account and suddenly I had a lot of money I was like, this is amazing, like a bowl of ice cream is amazing, <laughs> but I do not feel differently yeah. about myself at all. Like, it was this, it was such a cool moment where it was like, you want to laugh and cry. It's like, this is going to be powerful because I now know why I want the money. Long before I got it, I had figured that out. I wanted to help people escape the matrix, whether it was by helping them get their body right or directly helping them get their mind right, like that was my obsession, like being of service, monetizing value, like actually helping people and doing something meaningful for the world. And that makes me feel good, right? Because the game I'm playing is neurochemistry. It's not about legacy, it's about right now, today, I want to feel good about contributing. I want to feel good about somebody writing in and saying, dude, that talk you gave changed my life or that piece of advice that you just gave. like. That really has fundamentally changed the trajectory of my life. I've launched a business. I've done whatever. Like I love that. Not in some like when I'm dead and look back kind of way. Like right now today that's very meaningful to me. So I was going after wealth creation for the right reason. I was doing it through the right method of delivering value to people. But in that moment realizing this has not changed the way that I feel about myself. I am not looking at myself the way that I look at other people who have success. So now I know that all the internal struggles, um, feeling inadequate, insecurities, like they're they're there to stay until you do the internal work, right, <laughs> of getting past them. So that. So that was obviously very humbling. And then along that journey that I, I laid out in the beginning, one of the most powerful realizations that I had it's just humility, right? To always be willing to sit at somebody's feet and learn um, is just incredibly valuable if you want to be successful. So couple the, I'm, I'm humbled because it feels good because you don't feel like you're teetering and on the brink of the illusion crumbling. So humility serves that purpose. But then humility also is incredibly powerful. And I know that. So in being humble, you open yourself up to new information. You don't stagnate. Your ideas don't become uh, dogmatic or calcify. Like you stay nimble and fresh intellectually, which then serves you if you're trying to build something. So that's obviously a lot of words to answer your question, but that's how I've avoided that.
1: It's a a profound answer. I know I was chasing money when I was a young man because I figured money would, would mean that I'd be loved and it would mean that I'd be safe. And I didn't, like, think this stuff. You don't, These aren't rational thoughts. These are, like, deep-seated subconscious emotional things. Uh, and a lot of people who are chasing money have some message like that. And it, it's it's usually around love, safety, um, being wanted, and, and just all sorts of weird stuff that, that is tied into neurochemistry and tied into early childhood experiences that happen even in, like, the best of families where you know something happens and you just you get this little seed that grows in there and suddenly you're like okay I'm gonna have some money I'll finally be good enough or you know wh- whatever I'll finally prove it to something but you don't think the thought you feel the emotion about that and it drives your behavior and you're like why am I doing this uh and I uh like you uh, you know it, it's to the point where it, there's studies it if you make about $75,000 a year, another dollar will not change your happiness one bit. Having your basic needs met does improve your happiness, but it doesn't mean you're a good person or not a bad person. It doesn't mean you're happy or, or not happy. Uh, certainly struggling to make sure that you have you know, enough food and clean water does uh, reduce happiness. But beyond that, uh, if you don't have a mission and a vision, like why, why are you doing it? And I, uh, I appreciate that you figured that out, and just you shared it so eloquently. I wish someone had told me that when I was 25. It would save me a lot of work.
2: You and me both.
1: <laughs> that's one of the reasons I do what I do, and I think that's why you do what you do, also. No question. You talk about uh, of 25 growth mindsets with impact theory. We're not going to talk about all 25 in this interview because that would probably bore the heck out of people if we tried to cram them all in in an hour. But I picked out a few of them that I thought were particularly useful, and one ties into humility that you just talked about, where you know you, you know that you know what you know, but you also know there's things you don't know, and you're willing to absorb them. And your principle number 13 is that everything or everyone has something to teach you, so learn from whoever you can. Tell me a couple examples of times where you learn something either from someone famous or some unexpected person that completely changed your
2: trajectory. Um, so... I will tell you that working in the inner cities at Quest, so that was a a very surprising thing. I, I never really put two and two together, but when you're manufacturing, you're gonna go into an area that's um, an industrial zone. Those are almost exclusively in underprivileged areas. Your workforce is gonna be people from the surrounding neighborhood, and they're gonna have grown up relatively hard. So we were manufacturing in Compton in the early days of Quest, and the people that were coming in and working for us had just grown up insanely hard. And one of the things that, that they taught me that they didn't necessarily intend to teach me was the power of hope. So seeing somebody go that's never had hope before in their life and see them suddenly realize, whoa, like I can do something more with my life. Um, this is incredible. Seeing how hard somebody is willing to work for their family When they've had nothing like that, taking care of your own and really like sacrificing and doing things to take care of your family. There were just amazing stories of that um, within the company. Um, That was incredible. What have I learned from somebody famous? Um, For some reason, Michael Strahan jumps to mind. And he's so he wrote a book called Wake Up Happy. And he's a guy that I've had the very good fortune of getting to know. Um, well off-camera and he really is like that all the time like this guy has an optimistic upbeat life. That is just unbelievable and he talks about it's all about your perception and that perception is a choice and if you choose to see the negative, you're going to see the negative. But if you choose to see the positive and you wake up every day saying, like, how am I going to make this a great day? When that becomes your frame for the day, it it really is incredible. Um, and, and that I have adopted deeply in my life. Tony Robbins, another yeah. famous person, um, gave me some advice when I was young just through his books. Uh, I hadn't, didn't meet him until – God, I guess like three years ago. Um, And that was the concept of if you change the questions you're asking yourself, you will change the trajectory of your life. And he said, take the worst thing that's ever happened to you and ask yourself the simple and honest question, how is that thing the best thing that ever happened to me? And that goes back to that hand notion of perspective is everything. Once you can stop looking at that moment as something that was truly damaging and acknowledge it yeah it was like that that side is just as real but there's also it's also almost certainly given you something and when you look at that so I'll just go right to one of the hardest things for people that were abused growing up so many of them say I'm going to be the one that breaks this cycle that is never going to happen under my watch and they end up being extraordinary friends parents because they've they've just got that line that for them simply cannot be crossed and they understand how damaging it is and they can really be a resource for other people that are going through something similar. Um, So it's just incredibly, incredibly powerful. And one of the people that came on the show, uh, his name's Wes Chapman, had that kind of life, but now has, because of that, he'll be the first to say, literally, I, I can't wish to not have gone through it now because then I wouldn't be in a position to help the people that I'm helping. And that to me is just like, you can't change what happened, but you can change the way that you look and at it. It's just
1: fundamental gratitude. Same thing with me. I, I kind of wish I didn't have all the knee surgeries and that I wasn't obese. It's all the all this crap I went through. But I wouldn't be a biohacker if it wasn't for it. So if you can't find gratitude for your challenges, um, there's an, there's something to do when you go to bed tonight. It's find some gratitude for your challenges. Um, yeah. Do you ever go to Tony Robbins events? Have you ever, have you ever been to one?
2: I've been to one, yeah. Uh,
1: I just... Uh, uh, he invited me to speak at his events this year at the Unleash the Power Within and I, I've his nice. work, you know, his books have changed my life uh, quite a while ago. But I always kind of wondered, oh, maybe he's a marketing guy. Like who really knows? And I went to his event. And I'm like, holy crap! I had no idea how deep that stuff is and how, how powerful and real it was. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, uh, I literally two weeks ago just uh, just finished four days at one of those, and on the final day I spoke. But the first three days I just did this whole process. I'm like, wow. There's wow. some, there's some real magic here with Tony, and I so many of the very successful people I know have have been influenced by him. So it was it was cool that you brought him up because he's a, he's a good human being.
2: He's amazing, a good human being, and I actually think his advice is oh, real. Yeah. I think and by that, if you take his advice, your life will actually be yeah, better. Yeah,
1: it it works, which is is profound, and it's it's very elegant neurologically too. So I was I was really stoked that you mentioned him because uh, he's. He's there when I have a dinner conversation with really successful people. A surprising amount of the time, someone will just bring up something he said. Wow! Right. Talk about having a big impact and feeling good about it. So I'm, I'm glad he can be an example no for question. us. You you also talk about building self-esteem around identifying the right answer and pursuing it faster than anyone else. So give me some examples. What uh, how, how does that work? How does that tie into self-esteem?
2: So this was probably the single most important realization that I've ever had. So I'm working with these two high-powered entrepreneurs and I'm like the the dumb kid who doesn't know anything about business and I found that really difficult emotionally because I was constantly feeling badly about myself because I up until that moment prided myself on being smart and when you pride yourself on being smart you need to be right otherwise hey are you really that smart and so i found myself in this position these guys are just sort of empirically the data would show are smarter than me. And by that, I mean, they process raw data faster than I do. So I'm constantly in this position of they would come up with the right answer faster. And then I would feel badly about myself. And I was like, man, this, this experience is really not great. And I would keep arguing for dumb ideas just because they were mine. And I remember one time I finally like out argued them and I convinced them to do my idea. Now this is at the time when my sole goal in life was to get rich. So here I am, I've stated goal, get rich. I've just convinced them of an idea that I know is worse than their idea. And so now I have this moment of crisis where I'm like, what do I actually want? Because if my stated goal is to get rich and I'm promising my wife, look, we're not gonna be poor forever, I'm gonna make you rich, it's gonna be incredible. But here I am arguing for an idea that I know is worse just to be right, that made me realize there's something driving my behavior other than what I think is driving my behavior. So I was like, do I want to be right or do I want to achieve my goals? And in that moment I realized this is a problem of self-esteem. And what's happening is they make me feel badly about myself because I pride myself on being smart. I need to feel good about myself. I think that just goes without saying, but like when I look at suicide rates it's crazy how many people commit suicides, the second leading cause of death among young men in the U.S., the number one leading cause of death among young men in Australia. And that's when you get the false belief that you could never feel good about yourself again. Okay? It's a false belief, but nonetheless, that's what happens. So I thought self-esteem is critically important, but can I choose what I base it on. Because if I can choose what I base it on, I need to base it on something that's anti-fragile. So Nassim Taleb's notion of being strong, being resilient is not nearly as useful as being anti-fragile. And he defines that as the more you attack it, the stronger it gets. So like working out in a gym, right? You're actually tearing the muscle, but as long as you give yourself the rest period, it actually builds back stronger. So wanting to put my self-esteem in a similar situation. So I realized if instead of priding myself on being smart, I prided myself on, Being a learner, being humble, always being willing to sit at somebody's feet and learn from them and then leverage that to identify the right answer faster than anybody else and then be the one to put the energy behind the idea. So I began to reward myself emotionally for the times where I would I'd be fighting for an idea because I believed in it, not the times where I knew that it was wrong, but fighting for an idea. I believed in it. I really thought it was going to be the thing that would move us towards our goal. Someone would say something and I would realize they're right. And I would say, guys, I have to admit, I know it's just 30 seconds ago, I was fighting really hard for this idea, but they just convinced me, I think this is the right idea, I was totally wrong. And in doing that, you actually build credibility because people now know you don't fight for an idea just to fight for it. You only fight for something when you actually think it's right. And then I would acknowledge the person whose idea it was, put a ton of energy behind it, try to help them execute it in any way that I could, get other people excited about the idea. And so that not only made me feel good and is anti-fragile, uh, but it also helped us actually push towards our goals
1: that, that's a that's a cool way of looking at it the The fear of being wrong uh, for a lot of people is it's tied directly into no one will love me. like I'm not a good person. I'm a failure. if I fail at, at your core, like I, I could die if I fail. like I can't do that. So you're willing to just tell yourself a story that isn't even true, and you're willing to fight, like you said, for something that you know is inferior and And you tie that into being willing to listen and I one of the, the, I'm not gonna call it a regret, it's not a regret anymore, it's a, it's a learning experience I had. Very early in my career, uh, there's a, a relatively famous venture capitalist guy named Mark Andreessen. Uh, you probably know the name. Uh, of course. So when Mark was a kid, I think he was two years older than me, uh, at uh, University of Illinois, he wrote the first web browser that was out there, It ended up becoming uh, a company called Netscape. And I reviewed the first version of that, of his software for PC Magazine. Like like I was there. Uh, I was wow. I was the first guy to sell anything over the internet before the browser was created. Like it was a teacher that said caffeine, my drug of choice. So I'm in the fray. And the difference between Mark, who's a multi-billionaire, and me, who is nowhere near a billionaire, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, I, I've worked for a paycheck for the last 20 years, uh, and, uh, and learned a lot along the way. But the difference between us is that when Mark was 25 or however old he was at the time, he went out to the most senior executives he could find and he's one to sit at their feet and learn from them. And he talked with a guy named Jim Clark, who's the founder of Sun Microsystems, who became one of his board members and his advisor and mentor and dozens of other people. Who else did that? Mark Zuckerberg. Mark, as a kid, I mean, like sub 25, I hate to tell you, I'm 44 now, so you you qualify as a kid if you're under 25, just because your prefrontal cortex doesn't finish baking until you're 24, and you're a a young adult, but you're, you're still going to make choices that are not the choices of wisdom. So, somehow these two guys went out and found the biggest, baddest people they could and said, teach me, show me how to do it, and both of them went on to create billions of dollars for themselves. Me? I was afraid of being wrong. <laughs> I was afraid of failing. And I did all right. I made $6 million when I was 26, but I didn't make 60 or $600 million like Mark did or uh, like Mark Zuckerberg or Mark Andreessen. And it could just be that my, um, my name isn't Mark. I-, I always thought that might be. <laughs> anyway, uh, but these are just examples of young entrepreneurs who did start companies at a very young age and grew because they followed your principle number 17. Around identifying the right answer and pursuing it faster than anyone else, and you're number 18, which is build your self-esteem about or uh, 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 building your self-esteem around being right all the time, leads you to make poor decisions. So I would make decisions out of ego or out of fear, and I would completely repellent of advice. And there's many people in positions of power and authority who desperately want to help people, but they only want to help people who genuinely will receive the help and act on it. Because the last thing I want to do, and the last thing you want to do is spend two hours of your time mentoring someone who's gonna ignore everything because they're right and then go off and do what they're gonna do anyway. It's a complete, like, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. Uh, so, Agreed. these are examples in, in my own life where I'm like, man, if I would've known about your number 17, and number 18, it would've totally changed my career trajectory. But then again, I wouldn't be a professional biohacker. I wouldn't have started Bulletproof. So I'm not I'm not upset about those things, but man, for people listening, They should absorb your principles there. You learned them the right way, and I learned them by watching people. And I can tell you now, some of the things I'm doing uh, with Bulletproof, I I mean, guys like Jay Abraham is one of the top marketing gurus out there. Like, we've become personal friends, and he called me up. I'm like, how can I learn from you? Like, like, And I've learned a ton from him and just from many others who have done what I'm working to do even 20 years ago uh, and, and have decades more experience than me. Uh, and uh, like, you, like you said, if you're not one to listen to those people, you're you're doing it wrong. So I I love it that you spelled it out the way you did. Cool. You've got another principle here, Tom. And you talk about do not do that which moves you away from your goals. What does that mean?
2: Yeah, so I'm fiendish about this one. This really sits at the center of my behavior. In fact, if you want to understand me, if you're looking at me from an anthropological standpoint, Uh, the first thing you need to understand is I set a goal, something that I really believe in, really want to achieve. And then all of my behaviors work backwards from that. So I'll identify, okay, what is the actual path step by step? So they have to be incremental executable steps, you know, so that you're not just sort of in the pie in the sky. Like I want to do this thing, but I have no sense if I'm actually going to execute against that. Um, and then what I inevitably realize is that those steps require me to acquire new skills and so I call that the skill gap and then I set about identifying what the skills are that are going to let me actually take those steps I acquire those skills and then I execute against them and so that's really the the driver now the big part of this for me is it's not just doing what your goals demand it's believing what your goals necessitate So a lot of people, like if you say, okay, I want to whatever. So I'm trying to build a studio and I want to build a studio bigger than Disney. So that's our goal. A traditional narrative studio done in a traditional way so that we actually have a shot of beating these Goliaths. Um, But looking at that and understanding that to pull that off, I have to believe that I can do it. Okay. So even if I have no earthly right to believe it, my goal demands that I believe it because I know just like as a fact, you're only going to attempt that which you believe you can succeed at. So if you don't think you can do it, you're not gonna do it. You, you may acknowledge that as a reason, you may come up with a hundred other reasons, but if you can actually believe that, not that I'm capable of it today, and that's important, I, it's not that I believe I can do it right now today, it's that I believe I can acquire the skills that will allow me to do it, and because of that, I take the first step, and then I take the second, and the one after that, and it's like, even though It's just as terrifying for me as it would be for anybody to say, okay, that's your goal and it's so big and of course people are laughing at us and all that. You've got to have the belief to be able to withstand that, to be able to withstand hitting your first real significant obstacle, to be able to withstand that person that respects you, that thinks you're crazy and acting like a fool, right? Like all of those things, you've got to have the internal belief system to get through that. And so what I find a lot of times is when I tell people this, do and believe that which moves you towards your goals. And people are like, yeah, but this thing. And I'm like, look, I don't value the truth unless the truth serves me and my goals. Because the problem is, you'll convince yourself that something is true that actually isn't objectively true, but because negative things seem more real, they seem more believable, we're more likely to take that and assimilate it into our worldview. that the propensity for you to believe negative things that are actually false is so much higher then for you to become positively delusional, that I would just much rather err on the side. So um, yeah, that I am absolutely fiendish about that. That's one of the most important things any upcoming entrepreneur or any linchpin employee, anybody can figure out first and foremost is what belief does your goal demand of you? And then you have to cultivate it.
1: Now, I know a few entrepreneurs who actually cultivate a belief that like there is a conspiracy out there and the conspiracy is that the world is lining up to give me what I want. <laughs> and yeah. There's also a, a psychological disease <laughs> around that. It's like the opposite of people who believe the world's out to get them. But, like, they believe the world's mm-hmm. there to like help them. Uh, are you one of those people?
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm, so look, Einstein said that the most important decision any human being ever has to make is whether the universe is working for you or against you. And I thought, that's so fascinating because hiding in the question is the fact that it's a choice. And neither is objectively true, right? The universe isn't out to get you and it's not out to help you. But if you choose to believe, you know what, there's actually a wind at my back. It just gives you what you need to try. And it's the effort, right? So if you start believing it in in like a a crazy way and you lose – the sense that this is a tool that I'm using, like I'm choosing to believe this is true as a mechanism to help me move forward, to take that first step, to begin that long journey, right? So, for instance, as think about how much you've actually had to put in to learn what you know about body composition, about health, about vitality. Like, dude, I, I've dug into your world. So, I know, like, from the organic farm that you live on to make sure that your kids are playing in the right kind of dirt. I mean, it's like, <laughs> It's nuts. Right. But it's it's so powerful to see you learn something and you act on it. So when somebody has the wind at their back, which you clearly do, which is that you understand that this is a process, it's a physiological, biological process. It can be understood. And because you believe that it can be understood, that you actually take the steps. Now, that's the wind at one's back that I'm talking about. Merely that. You believe it can be figured out. You believe that it can be understood and that it can be understood by you. You're, you're willing to go on what really, man, would. The, it must have taken you decades to accumulate all of this knowledge, which you do with passion and enthusiasm, which only fuels the rate at which you get this information and all that. But it starts with that. This is doable. Because if you believe fundamentally it can't be done, you never would have done it.
1: it it's funny you say that. I, I've pissed a lot of people off. Uh, this month I was in... Uh, one of the major men's magazines, and there's an article about, I think it's, I don't want to say the wrong one, <laughs> which is terrible. I haven't seen the physical copy yet, so I don't in my head. But there's an article, like, like, how old are these crazy people going to live to be? And then Peter Thiel's 120. I'm like, I'm going to do 180, right? I'm going to live to at least 180. And then there's Aubrey de Grey. like, oh, 10,000 years, uh, and, and I'm going to have the best beard ever when I do that. I don't know if, if, if you know Aubrey, he's been on the show. He's, he's a friend with, like, the world's most mesmerizing beard. But... People get really mad when you talk about stuff like that, but I'm like, look, if I don't believe I can do it, I'm probably not gonna do it, and I'm totally willing to die trying, right? (laughs) Like That's the worst thing that's gonna happen, which was probably gonna happen at some point anyway. So uh, it's that that mindset though, and part of it is, I know I may, I may not make it, but if I can convince my tissues that the universe is conspiring to to give me the wind in my back, uh, that I'm absolutely Hmm. going to do this, it affects my subconscious behaviors. And it sounds like you've, you've got a similar line of thinking around that uh, where you're like, okay, I need to believe these things. Cause if I believe them, it's not just the rational part of me that's affected. It's the, it's the behavior parts of me that happen when I don't think about them. Is that
2: is that hundred percent okay. dude. So fair.
1: Now that said, I can tell you when I started Bulletproof, I was a VP of cloud security one of the largest computer security companies out there. I made a quarter million dollars a year stock options Brand new, uh, brand new son, second child. So we just moved to uh, a new country. Uh, I had depleted most of my savings uh, doing that and working, uh, working on a a couple startup things. Uh, And my wife was like, "Dave, what the hell are you doing? Like, like, like this is the worst time ever to start a company. Like, like, like just like you have a good job, just just do that." And I'm like, "I know, but I kind of have to do this because I don't. I'm not making a difference in in the other job." Mm. And. Yeah, so it, it turns out in retrospect, I'm still tell you, it was the right move to start the company, but I, I had to overcome you know, internal resistance around that and family resistance. Sure. So we've got people listening to this who are saying, hey, maybe I should start a company, maybe I should go and apply for the job, right? I should go back to school, right? I should do the thing that's going to help me achieve whatever I'm here to do. What do you say to people like that who are like maybe supporting a family or looking at, at a scary new startup or, or looking at a safe choice versus a risky choice?
2: So there's a couple things. One, everything comes down to your value system, so that's going to drive your behavior. Values and identity drive behavior. So um, you need to stay true to your values, or change them and then stay true to the new values. But if you're like, if the thing that you're going to look back on and value yourself for is entirely predicated around um, safety and stability, then don't start a company, (laughs) and it's going to be a bad and 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 you really will be out of alignment with yourself but obviously for you, definitively for me, I don't prize safety and security. I believe the mission of, I think everybody, but certainly I will speak for myself, the whole reason to be alive is to say, okay, humans are the ultimate adaptation machines. We are able to thrive in virtually any environment. We do that because we have this amazing physiological and mental ability to adapt to that new environment. Okay, so if we're primed for that more than any other species ever, why would we not take advantage of that? So I believe the, the point of life is to see how many skills you can acquire that have utility and then put that utility to the test in service of something bigger than yourself. So because that's my value system, while obviously I would want to take care of my family, that isn't enough for me. So knowing that this other thing could also – and look, I would be – if I had a family, I would be as careful as I can. I wouldn't do anything reckless. I would keep the job as long as I could, keep the money coming in, and only pivot at that moment when I felt like, okay, now is my best chance to actually uh, make it work, and now it's sort of holding that side back by being over here, whereas in the beginning, maybe that was very useful. Now it's not useful. So I would look to do that intelligently, but at the end of the day, to really realize my potential, to stay true to my value system, I would have to at least try. So protect your downside. Richard Branson speaks so beautifully about entrepreneurs that are successful really learn very quickly how to protect their downside, which I would do. Um, But I would never fail to take that risk. And it's exactly that risk that ended up paying off for my wife and I uh, when we built Quest, which ended up being very successful. I believe it's going to pay off again now that we're um, leaving the safety and comfort of Quest and coming over to something entirely new and building it from scratch um, because it, it speaks to my core values. Um, I think core values are malleable and I think people can change them. So it's about looking inward and seeing what's really true for you, what you really want, what you really value in yourself, and, and adjusting and acting accordingly.
1: Do you think everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur? Like, like there's so many people who are like want-entrepreneurs, but, but you know, they're doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, what, what's your take on the mindset of being an entrepreneur?
2: Well, I believe anybody can develop the mindset of an entrepreneur, but I don't believe that um, there's any reason to become an entrepreneur if that doesn't feel right for you. So to me, asking if somebody should be an entrepreneur is like asking if somebody should be a musician. It's like, uh, if you love it. So if you are drawn to that, I'll tell you, I became an entrepreneur because I wanted to control my own destiny. That was my driving force. I really need just it is my personality it's something that's part of my value system like all of it coming together I can't have a boss I just can't I have a real problem with authority like it's a thing for me so also a huge thing for me is I need to know that the more effort I put in the more problems I effectively solve that I can make more money that's important to me and so just knowing all of that, it doesn't work in a traditional work environment where unless you're the sales guy and even then there's usually caps and restructures and all that that happen inevitably. So the one way I knew I can control my destiny, I live and die by my abilities. And I actually love that my house is on the line at all times that if I fail, Hey, it all like goes away. I love that. I love knowing I am playing a high stakes game where my skill set matters. Right. So going back to my vision of what the meaning of life is to acquire skills that have utility, right? And I wanna know, are the skills that I'm acquiring, do they actually work? And when they work, and you're like, holy hell, I was able to make something of this. And dude, you must feel this more than most. Like, when you first started talking about high fat, you sounded like a crazy man (laughs) to pretty much everybody, right? But you, you understood it, you understood like what was happening from a metabolic standpoint. And because of that, you had a true north. You could keep pushing forward. You knew what you were trying to build. Slowly, the world starts catching up. I mean, you just really played the right hand of an entrepreneur. It wasn't about the money. It was about the belief system. It was about what you were trying to create, bring to the world. You knew what your mission was. I mean, it's just amazing. And your life in every way, shape, or form is a reflection of that. So it's like you're totally authentic, wonderfully transparent. You're trying to add value. I mean, just go to your shopping cart, and you can see, like, All the products are designed to add value. All the informational products are designed to add value. Even the stuff like the the full body shaker, it's like they're all things that are consistent with your belief system about how to optimize. So there's no hole to poke in you. People may say you're wrong, but no one's gonna say that you're lying. No one's gonna say that you're, uh, you're just trying to monetize. You can attack you from every angle and you're just gonna find the same person standing there. And because you're so consistent, That's where it's like, that's this new world of entrepreneurship that we live in. that makes me so excited about where we're headed. But no, I don't think it's a a true north for everybody. I think some people really do prize um, security and safety. And that's perfect, right? Because if you really think about it, if everybody wanted to be an entrepreneur, it all falls apart, right? So I've got people on this team. They're incredible. And without them, we could not do what we're going to do. But we can't all be the one running the show.
1: It's uh, it's totally true, and, and there's I know some people who who want to be an entrepreneur because that's what they're supposed to do, but they haven't developed yeah. either the mental toughness or just the the I'm going to do it and I don't care if I'm not supposed to mindset. That's a part of a part of it at least in in my experience of being an entrepreneur.
2: And it totally agree. it's funny
1: you talked about people you know calling you a liar. Any entrepreneur will face doubters and things like that. The cool thing is every time someone says that that you know you're going to not succeed, or they say you know you're a liar, or uh, whatever else they say uh, uh, about your belief systems or whatever else, they're still saying your name. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
1: like, say my name, <laughs> just say my name. Right. And, and it actually works because people are talking about it. If your ideas have merit and if they're they're backed by science and they actually work, it, mm-hmm. it works out at the end of the day. And if you're an entrepreneur who's, you know, I, I'm going to, to build something that provides no value for anyone. And there are entrepreneurs who sort of, do, I'm just going to like, you know, I, I'm going to, Relabel something and sell enough of it on, on Amazon so I can go live on an island and work a couple hours every month. You're probably not adding a lot of value to the world, but you probably can make enough money to, to live. But that's, a, that's not really an entrepreneur in the way that I think you and I are talking about the term, right? Correct. Okay. You talk about mindset hacks. <clears throat> Sorry. You talk about mindset hacks. Uh, three mental mm-hmm. upgrades you'd recommend. Uh, do you have those at the, the front of your mind? I took notes when I was going through to prepare for the show, but you want to talk about some of your favorite mindset hacks?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that these will be the same three that I said uh, then, <laughs> but uh, my, my first for me, so these are the things that I did. So one, prioritizing sleep. So um, I'm, I'm actually a little uncomfortable with this becoming part of my persona, but um, people think that I just get absolutely no sleep which isn't true. I don't set an alarm. I haven't set an alarm in like 15 years, which is probably part of why I wake up when I wake up. I get between five and six hours. I'll sleep 10 if that's what I need. I don't, I don't have an alarm. There's nothing that's going to stop me. So um, I sleep as much as I need every night. It's typically between five and six hours. Um, and, and prioritizing sleep was a big breakthrough for me because I just don't do well. I'm not cognitively optimized when I'm tired. And I find that a unique form of misery. And when you wake up to an alarm and it wakes you up in the wrong part of your sleep cycle, ugh, it is so hateful. I just hate it. So starting my day off that nastily is just gross. So I go to bed really early. So that's hack number one. Just go to bed early, sleep as long as you need, no alarm. Hack number two for me is the gym. Now, I hate the gym. I want to make that abundantly clear. I do not enjoy anything about it. Literally, my wife loves it. The act of working out for her is amazing. And when we're on vacation, she's like, to enjoy my vacation, I wanna keep working out. And I am the exact opposite. The, the level of physical exertion, the way that I feel, eh, I just don't enjoy it. But going back to cognitively optimizing, the, the research on this is so clear. If you want your mind to be sharp, your body's gotta be sharp. And then to your point, like I wanna live quite literally forever. As Woody Allen said, I don't want to live forever through my works. I want to live forever by not dying. <laughs> uh, and so that, that is the live forever I'm looking for. And I know there's a lot that has to happen between now and then. So do, you those, just, do you have a
1: bracelet? Are you going to like freeze your body in case you die? I, I don't.
2: I don't either. Uh, uh, my thing is like. It's uh, not how I want to live. I, Right, like I would rather just live long enough naturally to get to the point where whatever problem has to be solved um, yeah. you, to actually allow us to live forever, we solve that problem. There you go. Um, so I'm just I'm trying to be as good to my body as humanly possible. So great strategy. Um, yeah. So that's that's my was that two hacks, yeah. and then I'll give you a third one: meditating. So meditating for me has been transformative, and that I avoided doing it for years because it made me feel Uh, effeminate, I'll be honest. And so it just didn't seem right. And then I met Mark Devine, who's a Navy SEAL, who was basically like, look, dumbass, you need to meditate. It has nothing to do with being weak. He was like, it is such a useful tool to getting the mind out of fight or flight, turning off the sympathetic nervous system, getting into the parasympathetic nervous system. And hearing it like that, I was like, okay, now I get the mechanism. I get what this is trying to do. And so I started meditating and that that has been unbelievably useful for me because it gets rid of what I call background radiation, just like the sort of thoughts, worries, anxiety, all that. It just builds to a level that becomes so ubiquitous and ever-present, you, you forget that it's there until you meditate and it drops to absolute zero. And it's like, now I have this, the space to hear myself. It's my mind is quiet. I can actually hear a thought. I can put together unique ideas. Very, very transformative for me. Mark's
1: been a guest on Bulletproof Radio a couple of times, and, and it's awesome when you see a Navy SEAL, like the ultimate tough guy. Uh, like, being, no, actually, you have to meditate. It's very different than you know you have to put on your sports bra to meditate because I, I found that that, that yeah. didn't actually work for me uh, as well either. Uh, but uh, I do have to say, for Mark Divine, the guy has a porn star name, and he's a Navy SEAL. And, and I've always been afraid to tell that to him to his face because he'd probably kill me. But in the meantime, I can say it here in case he ever hears it. So, Mark, if you're listening, man. Thank you for your work, but your name is the most badass name ever. So, thumbs up.
2: It is, uh, it is yeah. pretty badass. You run
1: Seal Fit, so for, if you're listening and you haven't checked out yes. Mark's work, you should check it out because um, he'll uh, he'll kick your ass in a good way uh, with uh, some yes. of his workout programs and his meditation stuff. So it's it's very legitimate and I, it, it's cool. You brought up Tony, you brought up Mark, like all these. Actually, there's, that's the third Mark good on the deal. show who's really successful. So there, there's something about the name very Mark true. that there, makes you like successful right? and tough. I guess I, I don't know. Now, I was going to ask you top three recommendations for kicking ass at life so you can be more bulletproof, but I think you just answered those when I was talking about your your mindset hacks. Uh, is, yeah. is there anything else you'd add to that list if someone came to you tomorrow and was like, look, Tom, I want to perform yeah. better everything as a human being. Like, What's most important? What would you tell them?
2: Yeah, so I'll give you two more. Right. So one, self-talk matters yeah. so much, I can't yeah. tell you. Getting really good at self-talk, um, that is probably the most overlooked Thing in success. The people that that really go on to do something special are people that can self-soothe very, very quickly. Um, so they know how to talk themselves through a difficult time, that it doesn't become a major stumbling block. They don't get stuck in something that they can quickly move past emotional defeat. Um, that's just really, really important. Um, and then the other is always be reading. So um, I, I'm a huge believer in books and i know you have a new book which we should be uh promoting right now you have a copy you can put on screen uh, dude strong, honestly like people, yeah people read it <laughs> so reading 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 because they can now learn what's taken you 20 plus years to learn they can read it in like a week it's crazy. Yeah. So I love that, and I'm so grateful to every author that's ever taken the time to share their notion. And when I think about like what has allowed culture to accelerate so rapidly, it's that, right? It's, there's so much knowledge out there that now, especially with the internet, anything you want to learn about, and in fact, something that I am dedicated to becoming one of the world's foremost experts on right now because I needed to help my wife, will resonate with you because you already are uh, one of the world's foremost experts on this, which is the microbiome. Oh, nice. And that is, my wife struggled very, very profoundly with that and it, it was just unbearable to watch her and it was making me feel like a failure as a husband that I wasn't able to solve this problem. And so finally I just said the doctors aren't helping. Like <laughs> they all have their area of expertise. They're not taking a functional approach to this. So I'm just gonna have to learn about it myself. And so I went in hardcore, just started reading primers and defining every term I came across that I didn't understand and now getting to the point where I, I'm actually beginning to understand this stuff to the point where now I would have known better not to go to, you know, a, a doctor unless they're already in this area and really can understand it. Um, so that that notion of don't just read to aimlessly read, I'm talking about, Picking something that you want to get great at, going deep, researching, learning, and then executing against what you're learning.
1: Beautiful. That's a great piece of advice. And, and the way you put it there it, around, look, uh, you're getting thousands and thousands of hours compressed into like four hours of reading. Like, like the return on investment there is actually higher than for listening to this, to this episode. Just because it's crazy. You're, the, every word you write is it, amplified so much that you write really carefully if you're, if you're writing a quote real book. Uh, do you have a do you have a book coming out sometime?
2: I do, so it should be out uh, somewhere between summer and fall of 2018. All right.
1: Well, when the when the time comes, I'll have you back on the show so we can talk about your book because I'm sure it'll be fascinating. You're, you're okay. clearly structuring, you're thinking about and structuring information about things that have helped you get where you are and sharing it in a, in a really impactful way. Almost like it, you have an impact theory, uh, given the. <laughs> 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 so I I appreciate Thanks, that uh, about you and. Uh, Uh, Thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. It was uh, really fun Uh, to connect with you again and to get to to dig inside your head and see what you've done and, and to provide some real actionable tips for people. So thank you.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, man. It really was an honor.
1: Where can people find out more about impact theory?
2: Uh, at Tom Billu, the show releases on my YouTube channel, so forward slash Tom Billu in the case of YouTube. Um, but, yeah, I'm there. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at Tom Bilyeu, and I'm very active socially. It's actually me, so if you get a like or a comment, a response, anything, it's actually me. So cool. Have an awesome day. Thanks, man. You too.
1: If you like today's episode, there's a couple things you can do. Uh, number one, go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes and just it'll take you literally one second, leave a review. Just click the star and say, this show matters. I got something good out of today's episode. That'll help other people find it and you'll actually do a solid for me. You'll do a solid for everyone else who sees it. Same time, while you're at it, you can go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Headstrong. If you already have a copy, leave a review. It's one of the simplest things you can do. I read all the reviews. It really matters because when people see a review, it tells them that it's worth their four hours to read the book to get the 10,000 plus hours that went into the book. But if you don't talk about it, they are like, I don't know, should I do, read it? Should I not read it? So I appreciate it if you go on and you do that now. Just go to Amazon, look up Headstrong, and leave a review.
0: A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey.